you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 6. Verses 30 through 44. That's what we're looking at this morning. Hear now the Word of God. The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. It's God's word for us this morning. Let's go to God now and ask for him to bless it. Father, thank you for this word. Holy Spirit, thank you for inspiring it. Um, God, we thank you that it's inerrant, um, sufficient for us this morning. God, we need your help to understand it, though. We are not sufficient in ourselves to understand your word, God. Um, and in fact, we confess this morning that apart from you, we can do nothing. So, God, will you enable your, um, your messenger this morning to preach without error. Um, God, will you enable your church this morning to receive the word of God um, and to, to test everything by the scriptures and to submit to your word and to obey it. Um, and to see Jesus, God, that's what we want this morning. We, we've, we've sang these beautiful songs about the supremacy of Christ and Jesus. We do believe that you are so unimaginably great. And God, we want to see you just a little more clearly in this story. So, Holy Spirit, will you open the eyes of our heart even now to see you for who you truly are, the perfect provider. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Today we are um, studying this miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's in Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the fact that this happened, that it's recorded in all four Gospels, shows us that the early church saw this miracle as a really big and important deal. They, they loved to tell this story. And that makes sense to us, right? Because we love to tell this story, do we not? I mean, this is probably the most famous miracle of Jesus. It's in all the children's Bibles. Um, even if this is your first time in church, 
you, you might have heard this story, right, of Jesus feeding the 5,000. In fact, we can confidently say it's one of the most well-known stories in the history of mankind. And here we are to study it this morning. Even if you're so familiar with it, you, you might not know that this story is very similar to something we've read in our Bible reading plan. 2 Kings chapter 4, um, a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in a sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? No, is that a hundred men? Not five thousand. So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. But in the story we're studying today, we see that Jesus is the true and better Elisha. In fact, we learn from the story that Jesus Christ is the perfect provider. He doesn't just provide for a hundred men with um, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain. But no, he provides for 5,000 men with five loaves of bread and two fish. But not only that, we see that Jesus' perfect provision extends even past this story to a greater spiritual reality. That's really good news for us this morning. So today we're talking about Jesus, the perfect provider. Why is he the perfect provider? Because, we'll see in the text, Jesus cares. And because Jesus can. So our first point this morning is that Jesus cares. In verses 30 through 34. So the disciples returned from their mission trip that they were on in verses 7 through 13. Remember, this is the end of the Mark and Sandwich, the second piece of bread, if you've been here for the last couple weeks. Um, so they return in verse 30, report what's happened, and then look what Jesus says in verse 31. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. This is the second time in the Gospel of Mark so far that Jesus' popularity has gotten so big that they could not eat food. We saw that in chapter 3, verse 20 as well. And so Jesus' response to the growing crowd and their hectic lives and their intense mission trip they just went on, um, his response to that is he commands the disciples to rest. Now I want to ask, is that a little surprising to you? That Jesus, you know, he sends them on the mission trip, he brings them back, he says, okay, we all need to take a break. What do we learn from this? Number one, you need to rest. The disciples had an extremely urgent mission, did they not? I mean, they were the tip of the spear of the most important thing to ever happen in the history of the universe. Nevertheless, Jesus says, hey, it's time to take a break. You could, you could see where Jesus might say, hey, we need to go, 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 go. It's too important. Too much is at stake. The kingdom of God is at hand. But even here he says, hey, we need to get away for a while. We as human beings can't just go, go, go. There's, there's wisdom here we see in Jesus Christ in ordering his disciples to take a break. There's wisdom in the command of God to, to take a Sabbath rest. What else do we learn here? We learn that Jesus cares about his disciples, do we not? Jesus doesn't just see his disciples as tools to be used or people to be exploited. Even in this moment, in the urgent mission that he was on, Jesus wants what is best for his disciples. He wants them to flourish as people. And when he notices they need to slow down, 
He has them slow down. Jesus Christ is still the same today. That's why Matthew 12, 20 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. That's why 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Jesus cares. Jesus isn't just concerned about you hitting your evangelism quota for the month. Okay, Jesus isn't, he, he doesn't just see you as a nursery worker. Okay, that, that you just have your role to play here at this church or in the kingdom and you need to do that, just do that, do that, do that and burn yourself out. That's not what Jesus wants. He, he doesn't want you to kill yourself and burn yourself out. He asks his disciples to rest, to come away for a while, to, to go to a desolate place and take a break. Now the danger in this application is this application really is for every single one of us, but in a way it's not. Okay, in, in, my, in my flesh, I, I almost struggle to put this in to, to this application because for many in the church today, a command to rest is not as needed as a command to work hard for the Lord. But I do want to give the, I do want to give the application for those who need it that it's good to take care of yourself. It's good to take a break. It's good to rest and just to remind you that Jesus loves you. Did you know that? Christian, that Jesus loves you this morning? Did you know that Jesus cares? And he sees his disciples going to and fro, everybody coming in and out. And he says, hey, it's time to take a break. Okay, so the disciples are tired. They need a break. And remember that Jesus also has a human nature who also got tired. If you have questions about that, BGU starting up as we study the doctrine of Christ here in a couple of weeks. So Jesus is probably tired and in need of a break as well. So they go off, verse 32, they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves okay so they're going it's almost like a retreat okay we need a break we need a vacation look what happens in verse 33 now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them crowd see jesus and his disciples and thousands of people start running the crowd at the end of this is described in verse 44 as five thousand men so imagine this with me that you have been working at vacation Bible school all week long. And vacation Bible school is finally over, and you make the decision it's time for a vacation. You need a desolate place. Right? Let's say it's Kokomo. So you pull up to Kokomo, finally ready to take a break. And as you pull up to Kokomo, there are 5,000 children waiting there for you to host a vacation Bible school for them. You. I want you to ask yourself, how would you respond? How would you react in that situation? That's basically what happens to Jesus and his disciples. They've been doing so much ministry. They've been working so hard. They finally decide it's time to take a break. And then here's the opportunity to do ministry again. The vacation is, is over already. The, the retreat is, is ruined, you could say. How does Jesus react here? I think we learned something so extremely precious about Jesus Christ. Look at verse 34. When he went ashore and he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. If I saw those 5,000 kids in Kokomo, I don't know if I would have felt compassion in my heart. Right? I don't know. Jesus has 
compassion. Do you, do you personally know about the compassion of Jesus Christ? Compassion, as we see here, is the knee-jerk reaction of Jesus' heart. These people come up, even though it inconveniences him, he feels compassion. What is compassion? It literally means to be moved from the bowels with pity. We might say to feel deeply in the heart. For a picture, think about the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, he sees a man who fell among the robbers, half dead on the side of the road. He sees the man, and it says in Luke 11 that he had compassion, and that compassion leads him to go and bind up his wounds. He pours oil and wine on him. He sets him on his own animal, brings him to the inn and takes care of him, pays two days' wages to the innkeeper and says, take care of him, whatever he needs, I'll pay it when I get back. That's what compassion is. Uh, it's caring so much that you, you do something about it. Okay, so Jesus felt so deeply for these men. No one cares like Jesus Christ. We see in this story. I, I saw a quote a couple of months ago, and it said something like, I, I couldn't find it exactly, but it said, you don't know someone's spiritual maturity until you see them not get what they want. Okay, and then it kind of reveals where they're at spiritually. Well, look here. Jesus didn't get what he wanted. He did not get the retreat, did not get the rest. But what comes out of Jesus in this moment Pure compassion. That's who Jesus is. He's the compassionate Christ. Jesus' knee-jerk reaction to these people should be so comforting to us because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's what we as Christ's children will always find in Christ. Ever-abundant, overflowing compassion for His children. He cares for you. That's what we see. Jesus cares and why did Jesus have compassion in the text? Why did he care so much? Look at the text, verse 34. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. At first, when I, when I first read this, it, it sounds so cuddly and tender. I think about my one-year-old daughter like cuddling a stuffed animal. That's what that sounds like to me. But if you're steeped in the Old Testament, that's not exactly what this imagery connotes for them. Okay, It's, it's something else. It's this, this phrase, sheep without a shepherd, was used in a leadership or military context. 1 Kings twenty two seventeen, And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. Ezekiel thirty seven twenty four, My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. You see that king, king means shepherd in this context. The clearest example, I think, Numbers 27, 16 through 18 says, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that, listen, the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hands on them. So in the context there, Numbers 27, Moses is going away. Moses is about to be off the scene and Moses has this concern they're going to be sheep without a shepherd they're not going to have a leader they're not going to have a, a man to lead them into the promised land and so God provides Joshua they, 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 they were going to be sheep without a shepherd so he provides them a man named Joshua in the Greek same name as Jesus this, this response to men that are sheep without a shepherd so Jesus is compassionate towards these 5,000 men. 
because they have no leadership. They have no shepherd. They have no king. They have no purpose. They have no direction. They were not being taken care of. And they needed a shepherd. They needed a a king. They needed leadership. This could have been a judgment on King Herod, who we just read about last week. Remember, compromised King Herod, quote-unquote king. Um, He was tossed by the wind, and his leadership obviously wasn't benefiting these men. It could have been a judgment on the Pharisees, who were supposed to be feeding souls, but instead were burdening them with man-made laws and legalism, and their leadership wasn't benefiting these men. So what does Jesus do after noticing these leaderless, shepherdless men, having compassion on them? Notice the text. So he, he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What does that lead him to do? He began to teach them many things. Jesus' compassion led him to teach because that's what these men needed. They needed the truth. They needed the ministry of the truth of God. And so we see here, to shepherd well is to feed the sheep with the truth. So first of all, our first point of the sermon is that Jesus is the perfect provider because He cares Jesus has compassion on His people. Jesus has compassion on you. Jesus notices when His people need rest. Jesus notices when His people need leadership. Jesus notices when His people need the truth. Jesus is the perfect provider because He cares. I want to encourage you with that this morning. He cares about you. He has compassion on you. But not only that, in the text we see, not only does Jesus care, but Jesus also can. Verses 34 through 44. And the reason why I want to point that out is because you can't be the perfect provider if you just care and can't do anything about it. That wouldn't be that encouraging to us this morning, would it? Jesus cares, but he can't help. No, what we see in this text is that Jesus cares, but also he can. Jesus is teaching and it grew late. That's what we see in verse 35. It grew late. So they're in this desolate place with 5,000 men, and it's getting to be supper time. Correctly, the disciples see a pending crisis on their hands. I know I can get a little hangry, you know, later in the day as the sun starts setting, and if if I don't get food, I get a little mad, and I'll times that by 5,000. Imagine what's about to happen here. You get 5,000 starving men. That's what we see in this text. So the disciples come with a demand. Upon Jesus. We see this in verses 35 to 36. They say, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them something to eat. Perfectly logical from the disciples, is it not? I mean, they're looking at things very logically here. We got 5,000 men, no food. We're in the middle of nowhere. We need to send them away right now before this gets bad. Jesus responds with something that seems illogical. What does Jesus say? He says, you give them something to eat. Alright? So the disciples want to send the men away, while Jesus wants the disciples to provide the meal themselves. Now sadly here, I think this this is definitely a bad story for the disciples. The disciples don't respond in faith and obedience, but instead respond in unbelief and ridicule. What do they say? They say, shall we, this is um, verse 37, shall we go and buy 200 denarii? Denarii is about a day's wage. This is like two-thirds of a year's salary. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? So they even sort of mock Jesus' idea here. 
saying it's impossible. They don't realize that Jesus can. So Jesus asked them about the resources in verse 38. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Clearly, from a human perspective, there is no way that they could do what Jesus commanded. No way. It's impossible. So with that realization in place, we see Jesus spring into action. Verse 39, he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so interesting to me, that phrase is included, green grass. Is that interesting to you? It's probably not because... But it's interesting to me. So I want to talk about it for a second. Okay? So first of all, we know it's a desolate place. So typically we think wilderness, we think desert. But obviously that's not the case. They're just in the middle of nowhere. Second of all, this useless detail like this um, is usually a mark of eyewitness testimony. Um, it seems like a, pe- a detail that Peter would remember and report to Mark. It's almost like, why else would you put green grass? But third, it does seem to be an allusion to Jesus being a shepherd. So there's this imagery of Jesus being this shepherd, having his sheep sit down or, or lie down on the green grass, which should you know, spring to mind what we read at the beginning of the service. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So isn't that just a really, really sweet imagery? Jesus says, I'm, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. I'm going to be their shepherd. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to make them lie down in green pastures. That's what we see here. Jesus had them sit down in groups. Uh, we see this in verse 40, by hundreds and by fifties. would be reminiscent of Israel, Exodus 18.25, if you want to look at that up later. But now the stage is set. Jesus takes the limited resources, five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven and said a blessing. We don't, obviously, we don't know exactly what Jesus prayed here, uh, but the table prayer common to Judaism at the time was, Praise be to you, O Lord our God, King of the world, who makes bread to come forth from the earth and who provides for all that you have created. That would be a good guess of what he might have prayed here in this moment. So then he, um, as we see in, in verse 41, he said the blessing, he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. So he takes the five loaves and the two fish after praying. He, he starts handing them out to the disciples, and the disciples start handing out food to the people. And somewhere in all this, the account does not say exactly when and how, the bread and the fish were multiplied in such a way that all ate and were satisfied. You see that? It's just They start handing out, they start doing their work, and it just keeps passing, it keeps passing, it just keeps producing and producing and producing, and everybody eats. Now, some uh, liberal scholars tried to, to rationalize the story by saying something like, this shows us the principle and power of sharing. Okay? Uh, that if we all just get over our pride and, 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 and share what we have, then everybody will um, have a little bit. Obviously not the intention of the text. You see that where they all ate and were satisfied? These were 5,000 men in a desolate place. They didn't just get a small morsel of bread. They were full, okay? These were hungry men, and they ate as much as they wanted. It's a miracle, okay? They all ate, and there were even to-go boxes, okay? This is not a principle of sharing. This is a principle of a miracle. See the to-go boxes in verse 43? They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces, and of the fish. Okay, so what do we learn from this story? We don't learn about the principle of sharing. 
okay? Even though I want to teach my daughter to share, that's not what we learn here. Uh, the first thing we learn is that Jesus is God in the flesh. That's what we learn here. Romans 4.17, God is described as the one who calls into existence the things that do not exist. Okay, God's the only one who can do that. Calling into existence the things that do not exist. Consider the creation of the universe. Nothing existed and then God spoke and everything came to be. Only God can do that. And the New Testament describes Jesus Christ as the creator of the universe. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus can bring something out of nothing, and thus since Jesus can, Jesus is God. Second, consider what happens with Israel in the wilderness when they are hungry. Think about that story. They had no food. They had no resources. But God fed them with manna from heaven. You can read about that in Exodus 16. God alone can provide food out of nothing. And in this story, we see Jesus can provide his people with bread in desolate places. And thus, since Jesus can, Jesus is God. That's what we see in this story. Jesus is the Son of God incarnate. God in flesh. Jesus Christ. And He is the perfect provider. In this story we see the two points. Jesus cares and Jesus can. And I think this story should show us that you can trust Him to provide everything that you need. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See that? That's a promise to claim. So this morning, do you need truth? Jesus is the perfect provider. Do you need purpose? Like these men did, leaderless men. Jesus is the perfect provider. Do you need change this morning? Jesus is the perfect provider. Do you need wisdom, peace, hope, joy, healing, love, forgiveness, material needs, eternal life? Jesus is the perfect provider. He cares about you and He can do something about it. And I love this application because honestly, I don't know what your need is this morning. You might not even know what your need is this morning. You might not really know what the problem is, right? We could be complex creatures sometimes, can we not? But I know the one who cares and who can. Jesus Christ, the perfect provider. So bring your need to Jesus. Look to Christ this morning. We're dealing with the one who can feed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. Jesus Christ is the perfect provider. This miracle is a great example of Jesus being that. But I don't think it's the best example. This miracle is really just a foreshadowing of Jesus' future and greater work. Notice the wording in verse 41. Look at 41 real quick. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. Except for the people, right? So, notice, taking the loaves, blessing, broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples. The exact same wording in Mark 14, 22. I believe this is intentional. 
Um, look at what it says in Mark 14, 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, took, after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, this is my body. So Jesus provides a feast in chapter 6, but he provides a greater feast in chapter 14. The Lord's Supper, which is a gift to the church that points to Jesus' death on the cross for our salvation. So Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree and rose again from the dead so that he could be the perfect provider of salvation. Not just a food. But look at how Christ is the perfect provider in 1 Corinthians 1.30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Christ provides us with union with him and wisdom from him and righteousness from him and sanctification from him, redemption from him. Paul goes even further in Ephesians 1, 3 and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every single spiritual blessing that can be found in heaven, Paul says, is provided for us already in Christ Jesus. It's past tense. He has blessed us with every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Jesus Christ is the perfect provider. And since Jesus is the perfect provider... We can trust in Him that He will provide for us all the way home till we reach our heavenly home where we will enjoy a meal that He alone can provide as we read in Revelation 14, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, so, brothers and sisters, in this story we see Jesus provides physical needs, but also we see that He provides salvation through a greater meal, the Lord's Supper. Right? But we see that that even points to an even greater meal where we get to be with him forever. Okay, so Jesus is the perfect provider in, in the past, today, and in, the, in eternity, in the future. You can trust him. So Jesus is the perfect provider. Why? Because he cares and because he can. And that's good news for us today. So what I want to challenge you with this morning is to consider your need, whatever it is, whether it's physical, whether it's financial, whether it's mental, whether it's, whether it's sin that you've, you've never brought your sin to Jesus, you've never had a relationship with Him, I don't know what your need is. Maybe you're, you're struggling in a certain way. What I want to encourage you to do is take that need and I want you to bring it to Jesus. He can provide. He's good. He cares. He can. So cast your cares upon Him. Jesus Christ, the perfect provider. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for caring for us. God, I pray that your people can understand your compassion, that you feel deeply for us. Jesus, I thank you for your compassion. God, I pray that it can become real to us, that we won't just see you as um, a distant king who just wants certain things from us, but God, that we can see that your, your heart is for us and that you have compassion on your people. God, I pray that also that we can see that you can. God, we praise you for your power, for your omnipotence. God, that there is nothing too hard for you, that you are in heaven and you do everything that you please. And so, God, we, we come to you with our needs this morning. We bring them to you in faith. We cast our cares upon you because it says that you care for us in First Peter chapter 5. And so we claim that promise. God, we see the example in this story. And God, I pray that this can be a church that trusts in your provision day by day, and in eternity. Thank you for your word, God. 
pray that in this time of response that we won't just mouth words, but God, that we'll, we'll, we'll do heart work in this time. God, that we'll seek you. God, that we'll, we'll take our needs to you and our cares to you in this moment. All for your glory, God. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. In your name, amen.